you have your Bibles tonight, let's go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Before we get started tonight, uh, are the two teen, teen girls who beat my wife in pickleball, are you here tonight? Are they here tonight? They just left? That's a bummer. Well, I have two shirts for them. If you saw them, they look like the sweetest teenage girls you've ever met. And when my wife and I got the draw, we were like, we are so lucky. We're going to get to play some teenagers in advance. They beat us 11 to 0. <laughs> so to prove that I was not a bad sport, I have faith t-shirts for them tonight and stickers. So we'll make sure they get those tonight. Also, I've never had so much pressure because um, I, I figure if you don't preach well, they're going to break your leg and make it look like an accident. So <laughs> it's like, Wow. <laughs> you first, brother. <laughs> by the way, have you not been blessed by Pastor Stevens preaching in the morning? Has that been wonderful? We were all kind of in a cabin together, and, and uh, they said he was, I said, Where, where's your dad? And they said, well, he's already over in the chapel. And I said, that's crazy. If I broke my leg, I'd have gone home. And one of the kids, to be unnamed, said, aren't all dads crazy? <laughs> and uh, anyway, I, I thought his illustration at the end about getting so much, and then one thing that doesn't go your way, and you just think, oh, everything's terrible. I thought, boy, isn't that how we can be with God? He gives us so much, and one little thing we want doesn't go our way, and we're like, oh, God, you're not good. Uh, if you have a handout tonight, I'm not going to preach that message. I'm going to preach a different message tonight. I titled it Good Hope. I want to preach on hope tonight. I find as I travel, there's a lot of hopeless people. A lot of people have tried to have a victory, tried to have a good marriage, tried to be a good mom, tried to be a good dad. And Satan is good at destroying hope. And I hope tonight that as you finish out this week, I think we've had great, I just thought he, Pastor Stephen did such a great job of drawing our hearts to a great God. I think if you were here as in the adults, if you were here and just heard that series, you just had to walk away in the morning to say, man, I was greatly reminded, what a great God. I still remember that picture, that slide he had with the earth, just that little dot so far away. And, and you realize our God is that big. Then whatever challenges and problems you have, God's big enough. He's up for the challenge. And the Bible's very clear. There's no temptation taking you such as is common to man. Whatever battle you've been having, you can have a victory. But I know that for some of you, it's been rough. And I want to preach on hope tonight because as we finish, I hope that we can walk away from family camp. I hope you've had a great time with your family. But I hope you're also encouraged to say, I can change. I can be a better husband. I can be a better wife. I can be a better mom. I can be a better dad. I can have the right view of God. And if you're here in our text, 2 Thessalonians, we're going to read verses 13 to 17, though I'm primarily going to preach the last half of this. But just to keep it in context, if you're here in 2 Thessalonians 2, let's begin in verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. 
Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. I titled the message from the text, Good Hope. Let's open an order of prayer tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great week. I thank you for uh, Phil and Dave and Willie and all of the camp staff. Thank you for all of the young people who have served us in the kitchen, uh, all the maintenance department, uh, people working sound. God, we just thank you for everyone who has served us this week. It has been a refreshing time. It's been a wonderful time to be with our families. God, as we finish this last message tonight, I pray that uh, if you still want to do a work in our heart, I pray that we would respond. Uh, God, as we started this week looking at the fact that if we really love you, then we'll allow you to change us. That the love of Christ compels us to be what you want us to be. It gives us a burden for the lost. And God, as we've looked at family, as we've been reminded of how awesome and how great you are in the morning messages, God, I pray that as we finish this week, that if you spoke to our hearts this week, we would not leave family camp stirred but unchanged. God, if you did something, if you spoke to us in some way, help us to implement it as we go home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You probably have heard of the term camp decisions. I was a youth pastor for five years. I hated camp decisions. Kids make a decision at camp and it doesn't last past Monday when they get home. And, and the goal is not to get you fired up. The goal is to help you make a change. And God's going to keep changing you all through your life. But if you're going to let that happen, then you have to have hope that it can happen. And Satan's so good at crushing hope and getting people convinced you really can't do it when God says you can we won't take the time, but you remember the two men after Christ was crucified walking on the road to Emmaus? They're completely crushed. There's nothing as devastating as having lost hope. For those men, their hope was gone. Along with the death of Christ came the death of hope. We've all lost hope in some sense at some point in our lives. Maybe it was cheering for the Oilers as I do and seeing them get beat before they make it to the Stanley Cup the last two years. Maybe there was a time when you had no job and no money. Maybe it was or is a health issue to you or to a loved one. During those times, you might be tempted to take the advice of Job's wife, just curse God and die. By the way, if you know the story of Job, Job chapter one, Satan comes and says, have you seen my servant Job? There's no one more righteous on the planet than Job. And Satan says, well, that's only because you're so good to him. God says, no, that's not true. He loves me. And Satan says, let me prove it to you. Let me afflict him and I'll prove that he doesn't love you. And God says, okay. And in succession, Job loses everything. First guy comes up and says, hey, you know your oxen? Uh, there was a raid. They killed all of your servants, took all your oxen. I'm the only one left to tell you the bad news. Next guy says, you know, remember your sheep you had? Fire came down from heaven, burned up all the sheep, burned up all your servants. I'm the only one left to tell you the bad news. Next guy, remember the camels you had? Chaldeans came, raided the camels, killed all your servants. I'm the only one left to tell you the bad news. But the last one was the most devastating. He had 10 children. If you begin chapter one, the Bible says he would pray every day just in case his sons did something wrong. He loved his kids. And the last person says, Job, a tornado struck the house. All of your kids were together and all your children are dead. I'm the only one left to tell you the bad news. And end of chapter one, and all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Is that how you respond when adversity comes into your life? 
Is that how you respond when you break your leg going down the zip line? <laughs> I mean, that's our first thought isn't praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? Chapter two. Satan says, well, let me afflict him. And he says, well, you can afflict him, but you can't kill him. And Job's wife comes to him and she's grieving. If you've lost one child, it's not normal for children to die before parents. If you're in this room and you've lost a child, in fact, I know some who have, I just heard this week. And it was so, it's a great conversation. And they said to me, it comes in waves. But they said over time, the waves spread out a little bit. But that's one of the deepest hurts. It's supposed to be the parents who die first. But if you've lost a child, could you imagine losing them all? And here's Job's wife. She's grieving. And you know what she thinks? We're the biggest idiots on the planet. We spent our whole life serving God and this is what we get? I mean, the only other person in the planet that knows Job as a righteous man besides God is his wife. You know what she's thinking? We are so dumb. We spent our whole life serving God and this is what we get, Job? Job just cursed God and died. And Job says, honey, you speak like one of the foolish women speak. Can we not receive good from God's hand and can can we also not receive adversity? And again, in all this, Job did not sin with his mouth. I think we've all been in those moments where you, you just have given up hope. And if you give up hope in your marriage and now you're just going to endure, uh, you've given up hope in having a victory over pornography or your temper or fill in the blank. You just said, I've tried and it doesn't work for me. Maybe you've given up on prayer. You used to pray, but when you prayed for something that really mattered to you and it didn't happen, you just quit and said, prayer doesn't work. I'll just say this about prayer, by the way. God doesn't always say yes. We know that, right? If you've been saved any amount of time, God does not always say yes. But I also want to stand in this pulpit and promise you, God does not always say no. God doesn't always say no. If, if you're always hearing no, something's wrong. There's eight hindrances to answered prayer that you can find in Scripture that hinder your prayer life. But when we go through those dark times, we, we're tempted to give up. By the way, you get to chapter 23, Job's had enough. Chapter 23 in Job, Job, oh, I, I wish I knew where you were. I would demand an answer from you. <laughs> like you could really boss God around. And it's so fascinating because you get to chapter 38 and God comes down and says, okay, Job, let's talk. Here's how I'll do this. I'm going to ask you 64 questions. You get one right. I'll explain myself. Question number one, where were you when you hung the world in space? And I love what it says in the New King James. Surely you know. <laughs> I think that's God being sarcastic. <laughs> Job, how come no two snowflakes are the same? Where does the wind come from? Who gave Leviathan his strength? Job says, I don't know any of those. And then God says, okay, this is number 65. You'll have to accept without an explanation. And so many of us, when everything goes wrong, think if we had an explanation, we'd handle it better. That's not really true. And the essence of faith is trusting when you can't see. And if I took you to Hebrews, the Bible would say, without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. If you could figure God out, which you never can, and if you'll only trust him when you can figure him out, you'll never walk by faith and you'll never please God. But when you say, I don't get it, it doesn't make sense. I don't know why in the last day of family camp there was a backboard under the zip line, but that was allowed tonight. And I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what's gotten you discouraged, but I do know Satan is good at at crushing hope. 
In fact, the number one group of people that take their life are teenagers who really should have their whole life ahead of them. How does Satan get young people, how does he get teenagers to think the only option is to take my life? And they take a permanent solution to a temporary problem. But in their mind at that moment, they're hopeless. In their mind at that moment, the only solution is to take my life. And if you ever worked with families who've gone through that, it's one of the most heart-wrenching, heartbreaking things. Coming back to it's not normal for a child to die first. And whatever you're tempted to give up on hope tonight, I hope as we go through this text it will encourage you. We must never give up hope because the Christian life is essentially a life of hope. Hope is as necessary to the human spirit as oxygen is to the physical body. When we lose hope, we're overcome with feelings of uselessness, purposelessness, and despair. Lack of hope can destroy our very lives. The word hope occurs 52 times in the New Testament alone, and you'll find that it's always connected in some way to God. God is the author of hope. Keep your finger here, but go over to Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 13. The Bible says, Now may the God of what? Read it together. Now may the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go back to our text, 2 Thessalonians, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Over and over we see hope is connected with our relationship to Jesus Christ. What is hope? Let me give you this definition. Hope is a desire with the expectation of getting what is desired. So you should hope that you have a good marriage. It's an expectation with a desire. I I really want to see that happen. I want to see my kids love God. We talked last night in parenting. There's a difference between a goal and a desire. A goal requires action. A desire requires prayer. But you should pray in hope. When you lose hope, you quit praying. When you don't think it's going to make a difference whether you pray or not, you're going to quit praying. But you pray in hope because you think, it will make a difference if I keep praying. I'm not going to quit. One cannot hope for what, what you neither desire or expect to receive. Sometimes hope can be misplaced. There are those who hope to go to heaven without acknowledging Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. There are those who hope to grow in Christ without reading his word or going to God in prayer on a regular basis. There are those who hope to live happy lives even though they are in rebellion to God. All these are misplaced hopes, hopes that are not founded and based in God. Life can be difficult and harsh, and many of you already know that. And there are times we may think it's not going to get any better. But there is hope tonight, true hope in Christ, and there is hope nowhere else. What's happened over your summer? Perhaps you've had some huge disappointments this year or setbacks this summer. Hal Lindsey made this statement. Man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now abide faith, hope, love these three, but the greatest of these is love. Because God is love, because of who God is and how much he loves us, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but of everlasting hope, there is hope. In the trials and heartaches of life, what you say you believe will be tested. 
If your hope is anything besides God and the gospel, you may end up posting a picture on Instagram of yourself eating a rainbow-colored donut at a gay pride parade in Vancouver, Canada after you've left your wife as Josh Harris did. If you're not sure who Josh Harris is, he was famous for writing a book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It was a good challenge to teenagers on being morally pure. And he posted that post on Instagram after he left his wife, and many people, especially young people, were devastated, who had read his book and really believed in, in moral purity for teenagers. And I would just challenge you tonight, you don't base your hope in a person, you, in people, you, you base your hope in Jesus Christ. Though he had a great challenge to stay pure until you're married, that's true because God said so, not because Josh Harris said so. At Faith, we have incredible professors, incredible staff, but it's our desire for our students to taste and see that God is good. Don't put your faith and hope in an institution, a professor, a pastor, or a church. The Bible's very clear, you must put it in God because that's the only thing that's gonna see you through. I'm gonna make three points from our text. Number one, stand fast and hang on. Go back to verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. If you're going to go have hope in the difficulties of life, you're going to have to stand fast and hang on. Therefore, is pointing back to verse 13, which reminds us, because you're beloved of the Lord and saved, we love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us. God sent Jesus Christ to pay a terrible price for our sins and provide a place in heaven. Heaven's described in Revelation as a place of no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain, nor broken legs. Your circumstances do not change God's love for you or what he did for you on the cross. How many times, I don't know, the pastors in this room, I've never had someone come in my office mad at the devil. <laughs> when they come in your office, who are they always mad at? Everyone's mad at God. Why did God do this to me? The Bible's very clear, God didn't. Go to James. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. God can't be bad. But sin is bad. And Satan is bad. And so really, who's causing your pain? It's not, it's not God. In fact, even who caused Job's pain? It wasn't God. Satan did those things. But as soon as we go through the hardships of life, Satan is right there to whisper, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care. God's doing this to you. And it's in those very moments that you have to stand fast and hang on. That's what the text is telling us. Therefore, brethren, because God loves you and he saved you, in verse 13, stand fast and hold the traditions. Your circumstances don't change God's love for you or, or what he did on the cross for you. Because of that, stand fast. The idea here is to hold your ground. Don't retreat. Hang on like you would behind a tube and a boat. Have you ever gone tubing? If you've ever gone tubing, what's the goal of every driver of the boat? I grew up in northern Minnesota. I did a lot of tubing. I did a lot of water skiing. Both events. If you go water skiing or tubing, the goal of the driver is to dump you. I was at a family camp last year, and I was out on a bunch of teenagers said, hey, Dr. Jim, we want you to go with us. I said, sure, I'll go with you. And, and they had a huge round tube, and, and two teens would jump on at the same time, and they'd lock arms, and, and there was a, 
adult driver and he was dumping them like crazy. And then it was my turn. So they put me and an 80 pound teenage boy. (laughs) And he hopped on there and I hopped on there and I looked him in the eye and said, we are not going off. And he's like, I'm with you, Dr. Jim. And I said, all right, I don't care what, I don't care how high, I don't care how many jumps we take, we are not going off, I'm with you. We locked arms and we took off. And I could tell the driver had a gleam in his eye, you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And we were doing awesome. I mean, he could not dump us. I mean, this kid, he was wiry. I love guys like that. He was as stubborn as I was. And we were like, we are, by the way, you don't know me, I'm super competitive. You could beat me a hundred times, I'm convinced one more time I'll own you, all right? So... (laughs) By the way, I want those girls to come to faith and give me one more chance. (laughs) And we're doing great. And so he purposely, there was another boat that had come by and he did a double wake. Whipped the boat and so we hit. We were, I mean, we were airborne. We were like a kite. And we're both hanging on and we hit that water so hard that rope came up and smacked me right in the mouth, split my lip. And we both let go. I came out of the water, I am bleeding like crazy. The boat driver finally felt sorry. (laughs) But I tell you, up until that moment, he and I both knew one thing, we are not letting go of this too. Again, I don't know where you grew up, I grew up in northern Minnesota, we went to the lake all the time. You get a bunch of teenage guys in a floating dock, what does it always become? King on the dock, right? And you jump on there and your goal is, hey, I'm knocking everyone else off this dock. No one's knocking me off the dock. I'm staying on the dock. Northern Minnesota, they'd pile snow. You go to church and they'd pile the snow. You get a huge pile of snow at a bunch of teenage guys. What do you end up playing? King of the hill, right? I'm on the top. You're not knocking me off. And that's the idea of hold fast. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold. You hang on. You don't let anything separate you from this. These are imperatives and they're present tense imperatives. Stand fast and hold on. Keep on standing fast, keep on holding on. But what you hold on to matters. Would you agree with that tonight? In the trials and heartaches of life, what do you have to hold on to? Look to the text. Brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you are taught. Now this this word traditions is not uh, talking about Jewish or human traditions. This Greek word is used here in chapter 3, verse 6. Look what it says in chapter 3, verse 6. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. The word tradition, as it's used in this text, has the idea of gospel teaching or truth, as it says it in verse 10 in chapter 2. And with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Look at what he, verse 12 They all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, be loved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. What you hold on to matters. The word tradition here simply means that which is handed down from one person to another. In other words, when the trials of life come on, you hold on to truth like your life depended on it because they give you hope. I can't tell you how many times when people go through the difficulties of life, when their marriage is sour, they stop reading their Bible every day. When things aren't going right, I can't tell you how many people quit church. 
Boy, when things are going wrong, that's when you grab on and you say, I'm not going off the tube. Nothing's taking me off. I'm gonna stand on this dock and no one's knocking me off. I gotta, hang, I gotta read this more. I gotta hang on to this more. By the way, I don't know if you're different than me, but my prayer life is always better when I'm in trouble. Because man, when I'm in trouble, I'm, I'm begging God, God, I need your help. If, I don't, if you don't show up, we're not gonna make it. And I, I don't know about you, but are you reading your Bible every day? Are you holding on to this? Because this gives you hope. I could give you all kinds of examples of the challenges and heartaches of my life. I might move down to faith. I, I was not planning to ever come back to the States. I already shared that. Long story how God made it clear he was asking me to do this. Um, honestly, when it first came up, there was another large agency that asked us to be the president because we put an application in there. Someone at Faith saw that, but either one of those, Joan and I were just like, we're sure there's better people than us. We honestly thought it was God testing us. Do you love your church more than you love me? And we both said, well, God, you know we love you more, so we were convinced he's not gonna really ask us to leave the most amazing ministry either of us have ever seen. And once he made it clear that he really was asking us to do that, we'd been a pastor there for 18 years. Almost the entire church, I was the only pastor they ever knew. All, our whole church was a first-generation Christian. We had almost no transfer growth. I told our people, you better be nice to me because I will do your funeral. And I thought, I meant that. My wife's sister had come up and married a Canadian in our church. We had five nieces and nephews. Her other sister's daughter had come up and married a Canadian and gotten saved in our church. My oldest daughter had already moved out of our house. We know this many people in Iowa. Zero. And to leave all of that to go a place that we didn't know anything. In fact, my wife, <laughs> I have such an awesome wife. She's such a sweetheart over here. And, and uh, when this was all going down, she said, Jim, if you're having a midlife crisis, she said, I'll bleach blonde my hair and you can go buy a car. <laughs> But she said, if you're going to go be the president of a Bible college, have you lost your mind? And she said, if you're going to do this, you better look me in the eye and tell me you know 100% God wants us to do this. Otherwise, do not ask me to leave our family, leave our daughter, go someplace we don't know one soul. You better be sure. Now, I don't have time to take you through the journey, but God made it clear. I was sure. And the verse God gave me was, the fields are wide and the harvest, the labors are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest sends forth labors in the field. I just felt more I could do more for the cause of Christ in a college setting, training people for ministry. And so we surrendered. We said, okay, we're going to go. Hardest thing we've ever done in our life. The night we told our church, I, I have like five top worst moments in my life. This was up there. I've never done this. I've been their pastor for 18 years. I said, folks, we're going to have a, a business meeting, and I need all the members to stay. I have something really important to tell you tonight. Well, you know that's all you have to say Sunday morning. Everyone's going to come back Sunday night. And everyone came back Sunday night. And I got up in front of them and I said, I really don't even know how to tell you this, but God's asked us to move. And there was an immediate sobbing of a very large church. And I told my wife, we're going to take our lumps. We're going to stand in the foyer and we're going to talk to anyone that wants to talk to us. People that we had led to the Lord, that I had baptized them, that I, they just walked by and said, I can't talk to you. People are mad at us. They were mad at faith. 
It was horrible. We planted four churches out of our church, and the night that we were going to leave, as a surprise to me, our leadership went to all those churches and said, would you all cancel your Sunday night church service and all come over so that we can honor Dr. Jim? That was just Pastor Jim to them. And so we had a gym, and they packed our gym, 800 or 1,000 people, three-hour receiving line. I'm telling you, I don't know anyone I'd stand in line for three hours for. But everyone wanted to come up and say, hey, I remember when you helped our marriage. I remember when we got saved. I remember when you were there at the hospital. We cried out. Have you ever cried and no more tears come out? That happened to us that night, both of us. We were, we were spent. And we'd cut a deal with Faith. I said, I got to help them find a new pastor. And so Faith said, as long as you're here one week before school starts, that's okay. And so we decided we need to take a break. We are completely spent, emotionally drained, everywhere you could be spent. And we love the mountains. And so we're going to go down to Yellowstone National Park at a fifth wheel trailer. We got up the next morning. People showed up at our house to say goodbye to us a second time. We left late. Drove down to Yellowstone, got in about 10 o'clock at night, got set up. Just got set up. My mom calls, says, hey, where are you? Well, we're at Yellowstone National Park. She says, Jim, you better head for home. Your sister's dying. I said, okay, we got up at 6 in the morning, packed up, we started heading. My parents live in Midland, Michigan, which is 10 hours past faith, and I had about a 20-hour drive from Yellowstone to here. And if you pull a fifth-wheel trailer, my wife can't help with that driving, so I'm doing all the driving. We're buying a house, all of a sudden, all this stupid stuff shows up, and I'm just like, God, what in the world? And 1 o'clock that afternoon, my mom called and said, Jim, your sister passed away. I remember I got to the far side of Iowa. We just got through Omaha, and I was so tired. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. And if you're the pastor in the family, you know who they want to do the funeral, right? They want me to do my sister's funeral. And I said, I got to go to this funeral. And Faith panicked, said, we made you the president. You've only been on our campus twice. You've got all this paperwork you have to fill out. You've got to give us a day. You have to work a day. And so I said, honey, I can't, I can't drive anymore. And I pulled into a rest stop and two semis came in on either side of me and didn't turn their engines off. I couldn't sleep, so I finally just got up and said, I'm gonna drive the rest of the way. I still picture this often, heat lightning going across the sky, and I got mad. And who do you think I got mad at? God. Seriously, God? Like, Really? Like, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to leave people I love. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do to go a place I don't even know one soul. And in your great wisdom and in your great desire, this is the time you're going to take my sister. This is your plan. You couldn't have waited till I, I didn't even know where I was going to go to church in Iowa. You couldn't have waited, you know, given me three months, or you couldn't have done this a month earlier when I'm surrounded by church people that absolutely love me. The loneliest place you'll ever be is without a church. And I was bitter. And if you've ever buried a sibling, I mean, I still preach that sermon and go to the cemetery. My sister's lowered into the ground. My youngest sister. And my wife had to go back and get our daughter. Our stuff got held up at the border. We get to Iowa. We go one walk, and she starts breaking out in a rash. We go see the doctor, and he says, well, I'm not really sure what it is. He misdiagnoses it. That rash spread over her entire body, face, everything. 
we're not that smart, but we knew something's wrong. <laughs> and we went back to the doctor and said, what's wrong? He says, oh, you have a terrible case of poison ivy. We're going to have to give you steroids. When her muscles got bigger than mine, I said, no more steroids, honey. That's it. You got to stop. <laughs> she loves gardening. We put in a garden. She gets chiggers. I said, what does a chigger look like? You can't see them. I'm like, I had no idea I moved my family to such a dangerous place. <laughs> but do you know how hard that was? Can any of you relate tonight of you're doing everything you know to be right and everything's going wrong? And that's how we felt. And God finally broke me and I finally repented and said, God, I'm sorry. You're taking care of my sister. She's a believer. She's in heaven. This is dumb for me to be mad at you. I'm sorry, you forgive me. I couldn't stand here today if I had stayed bitter. But you know, one of the blessed hopes is that I will see her again someday. Because there is another, there is another life after this life. 2019. We just put in a, I got a wonderful call. A friend of mine who owns a lumber yard out in Pennsylvania says, hey, I want to donate all the lumber for a brand new gym floor. It's about a $250,000 gift. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. We'd love that. He said, I'll let the, get the word out to the loggers and, and they'll bring in the wood and we'll get it all milled and, and you'll just have to pay the shipping and installation. I said, no problem. That'd be a, what an amazing gift. Got into graduation, finished graduation. End of May, I get a phone call. One of our students was on a missions trip over in India. It just came out that she was pregnant. No one knew. And she had stopped at a rest area and been raped in her junior year, had never said anything, and ended up finding out she's pregnant. I said, well, I'm going to be speaking out by her parents. You know, we'll fly her home. I'll be there and I'll meet with the parents. Again, those are hard conversations. And I went out and met with the parents and I said, listen, I'll do anything we can to help you. I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. I have two daughters of my own. I can't imagine how I'd feel right now. July 12th, my mom dies in an accident. Two weeks later, my wife said, let's go to the ark. Our anniversary was two weeks after that. My mom died on the 12th. Our anniversary was the 21st. We got out to the ark, we turned our phones off while we were in the ark, and I got out, my phone's blowing up. And I called the pastor and he said, have you just heard? I said, no, what are you talking about? I said, Dalton Cottrell, a, a junior who was coming back for his senior year, drowned on his honeymoon in Florida. He just finished his pastoral internship, he got married on Saturday, and he drowned on Tuesday. Our college is small enough, and I really do love our students. And, I, and Cheyenne had come from a really broken home. I said, honey, we got to call Cheyenne. And we called her and she picked up. And her husband had just passed away. She didn't have a father figure in her life. And I remember talking to her and we're crying and she's crying. And I'm still raw from losing my mom just two weeks earlier. And then the parents call of the girl who's been raped. I said, Dr. Jim, we, we really wanted to finish your senior year. And I said, I'm, I'm for you, but I'm going to have to explain why we have a pregnant girl on campus. 
And they said, well, you, you let us talk to our family first, and then you can say whatever you need to say. And then our gym floor got installed, and they put a new product on it and never sealed. It was too slick. So for an entire, if you've ever been to Faith, we do all our chapels in the gym. For an entire semester, we couldn't do it in the gym. We had to do it in 103, 104, just crammed in. We had to take all the desks out. Students had no tables to sit at for that entire semester. Our girls' volleyball team never had a home game. ACA was so gracious to us. All our games were played at ACA just up the road. And I'm just telling you, I, at that moment, I just thought, God, I don't know what else we can do. But you know what? The gym floor did seal. When she got ready to go home at break, our college girls decided to throw her a baby shower. And our college students gave her so much stuff that her parents had to come and drive two cars to take all this stuff home. And she just got married two weeks ago. In that moment, it's all pretty overwhelming. And it's in that moment and your moments, because you have them too, that you have to hang on to hope. And the only hope is Jesus Christ tonight, folks. It matters what you hold on to. And in the heartaches and heartbreaks of life, the the reason you don't lose hope is because of what Pastor Stephen's been preaching all morning. Because we have an incredible, great God who loves you as if there was only one of you. You know that, right? If you were the only one, he would have died on the cross for you. He loves you more than, he loves you first. He loves you most. All the ways we went through and said the way a husband should love his wife. Why? Because that's how God loves you and me. And in those deep, heartbreaking moments, you can't lose hope. I've seen lots of people walk away from their marriage because they've lost hope. I've seen pastors walk away from their churches because they've lost hope. And as I thought about how I'd like to finish family camp tonight, I'd just like to walk away tonight just having hope. Because if you have hope, you'll try. I grew up on a farm. That's probably why I don't give up. You can beat me 50 times. I'm going to keep coming. Why? Because I'm not going to give up because I have hope. And praise God, you have hope tonight because of who Jesus Christ is. And let's quickly go through the next verse. Stand fast and hang on. Secondly, have hope, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolations and good hope by grace. You have to decide tonight, is Jesus Christ just a man? If so, Jesus lies in an unknown grave, ignorant of all that's going on here, and the notion that he can help is a dream and a lie. Or we believe in the resurrection. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. The Bible says, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty and you're... Faith is also empty. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. By the way, the apostles 
did not die with Christ. Those weren't apostles that were crucified on either side of Christ. Why did they all die later? The only thing that makes logical sense is they saw the, him after he was killed. Why would you not die with him the night? That, lots of people die with a crazy man, right? You can see all kinds of cult leaders and everyone dies with them. The disciples didn't die with Jesus the night he's crucified. They all died. Ter- Peter's crucified upside down. Uh, you know, James is beheaded. Thomas is run through with a spear. Why didn't they die with him the night but died later? Because they saw him after he rose from the dead. And this is what he's saying here. You either believe we're false witnesses or you believe that we're testifying that God raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have what? Can we say that word together? If in this life only we have hope. In Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Come back to our text. May God, who has loved you and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, we believe that Christ is the Son of God when we can pray to and know that he hears us and he's able to help us. It gives you hope at three crucial times in your life. Number one, it gives you hope at a funeral. If you're from Iowa, you know the name Molly Tibbetts. Molly Tibbetts was a girl who was jogging in a golf course and was murdered. Uniquely enough, Molly Tibbetts and Dalton Cottrell were from the same small town, Brooklyn, Iowa. And both died one year apart. Molly Tibbetts was very famous here in Iowa and a lot of media attention as everyone descended on Brooklyn, Iowa for Molly Tibbetts' funeral. And a year later, Dalton Cottrell made national news because he got caught in a riptide. I mean, all over the world, we had all kinds of telecasts showing up on our campus. Everyone was making a big deal, and a lot of them cared about what happened and why he died. And I think my wife and I still can remember as Cheyenne, as we went to that gravesite, and as she just sobbed at that casket. Do you know how I can handle the fact that my sister's in heaven and my mom's in heaven and Dalton Cottrell's in heaven? On Monday when I got to camp to hear that Sarah Fincham's dad passed away of a heart attack and we'll be attending that funeral on Monday. You know what helps me as a believer is that there's another life after this life. And the Bible says we sorrow but not as those who have no hope. Rips your heart out, but it's not the same as people who have no hope. And so have hope, especially when you attend a funeral. I'm going to see my mom again. I'm going to see my sister again. I'm going to see Dalton again. It gives you hope in battling sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation taken you, such as is common to man, that God has not provided a way of escape. Where has Satan gotten you to give up hope tonight? He just said, I, I just can't control my temper. I just can't do it. I, I, Dr. Jim, I just can't love my wife. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Dr. Jim, I just can't respect my husband. If you knew what he was, yes, you can. Don't lose hope. Whatever you're battling in the area of sin, with God's help, you can have a victory. And number three, it gives hope when life is hard. 
Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character, what? Hope. And then what does he tell us in verse 5? Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Do you have hope tonight? The God of hope wants you to have hope. And if He spoke to your heart this week and Satan's already convinced you you can't fix your marriage, you can't make things better. I hope you at least can walk out of this service tonight saying, no, according to Scripture, I can have hope. Verse 16, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Verse 17, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Point number three, make your life count. Verse 17, As Paul prayed for the Thessalonians, it's my desire in the light of these things that we all go through in life that you would let God comfort your hearts and let him establish you in every good word and work. Paul was concerned about two aspects of the Christian life, their words and their work, their saying and their doing. If our walk contradicts our words, we lose our testimony. Good works and good words must come from the same yielded heart. It's good to be defenders of the faith, but we must not forget to be demonstrators of the faith. I meet all kinds of people that go to war on doctrine, but they are as mean as a junkyard dog. The Bible says if you're a believer, then we need to have the fruit of the Spirit. Remember that? Love, joy, peace, gentleness. Is that what people think when they know you? Oh man, they, boy, they defend the faith, but they are crabby. No, God's looking for people who say, hey, I'm not just a defender, I'm also a demonstrator of the faith. Did you ever realize Lazarus did not have to give lectures on the resurrection? (laughs) He just had to show up. (laughs) I mean, lots of people knew that he was dead. In fact, even his own sisters, when Jesus says, oh, get get him, he's been in there three days, he stinks by now. I I can't wait for this rerun. You know, remember this, remember Jesus? Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) I mean, he's, uh, he's gotta hop out, right? He's all wrapped up. And everyone is like, wow! And everybody talked about that. And you know what is so crazy? You remember the Pharisees' response to that? We need to kill him again. (laughs) That's crazy. Rather than acknowledge the God who rose him from the dead, you know what the religious leader's attitude was? We gotta kill that guy again. He's messing things up. People are actually believing that there's a God who rose him from the dead. Let's kill him again. Boy, can we get that same way? God's coming and he says in verse 17, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Don't fall into despair. Praise God he loved you and gave himself for you. Because of that, there is hope. And because of that good hope, be established in every good word and work. As I close tonight, do you do good to your family? When's the last time you did an unexpected act of love for your spouse? Do you complain more or give more? Ladies, how long has it been since you praised your husband? Men, how long has it been since you romanced your wife? Teens, are you obeying your parents? Are you honoring them? 
Teenagers and young people in the room, when's the last time you did something nice for your mom or dad that they didn't ask for? Are you established in every good word and work? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around as our pianist comes. I wonder tonight, you've, I, I don't think Pastor Stephen has not mentioned this in the morning service. He's mentioned almost every message. Do you know for sure that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you're here tonight, our last night, I won't call you out. I'll not embarrass you. No one's going to come to your seat. But on our last night, if you're here tonight and say, Dr. Jim, I am not sure if I were to die, I'd go to heaven with no one looking around and my promise that I will not embarrass you. But I would like to pray for you tonight. You say, you know, I came to those morning sessions and I just, I heard it every morning. I remember how we started on Sunday. If God spoke to your heart, you say, you know what, I'm not sure if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I'd like you to pray for me. Would you quietly put your hand up? Anyone like that here in the room tonight? I see that hand. You can put it down. I see that hand. You can put it down. Anyone else tonight? For the two of you that raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to talk to someone tonight. I'm keeping my word. I'm not going to single you out and no one's going to come to you. But this is your last night. Please talk to someone. The rest of you tonight, if God spoke to your heart, would you talk to him right now, just in the quietness of this moment, and just talk to him and say, God, you spoke to me about fill in the blank. And God, with your help, I'm going to be a doer of your word, not just a hearer. Maybe you came in discouraged tonight. You've been going through a really tough time and you've started to lose hope. You started to think it can't get better. With God tonight, there's always hope. He is the God of hope and he gives good consolation and good hope so that you and I can be established in every good word and work.